Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. You ever heard the message, don't shoot the messenger? Right? It's, it's common saying. And uh, what that means is, usually there will be somebody that has to convey bad news uh, and people will get upset, not at the source, you know, where that message came from, but they'll, you know, they'll, they'll take it out on the messenger, the person that delivered the message. So usually when someone says, hey, I'm just, I'm just telling you what they said, don't shoot the messenger, that means, you know, don't take it out on them, they're just relaying information. Sometimes that can be deadly. And, and you know, the, the idea of don't shoot the messenger is very legitimate. In fact, in the Bible, there were many people that shot the messenger. Now, shooting is a, you know, a common term, that, a modern term, because they didn't have guns back in the day. Uh, but taking things out on the messenger or killing the messenger has definitely happened. Remember John the Baptist? He was, somebody took it out on him because he, he was, you know, preaching, prepare the way of the Lord. Uh, you remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7? They shot the messenger. They killed Stephen. In fact, they were so mad at him when he was preaching that they gnashed on him with their teeth. That's pretty angry, isn't it? And then they killed him. That's shooting the messenger. Um, James, the son of Zebedee, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 12, uh, they shot the messenger. They were mad at him for preaching, and so they took it out on him. And then history shows us from that point on um, that James, the brother of Jesus, according to Josephus, he was martyred. They shot the messenger. Uh, Peter, according to uh, church father Tertullian, um, he was killed for his faith. Uh, Paul was killed, according to Ignatius. And then many of the disciples, tradition has, uh, died for their faith. In fact, you know, every one of them except for John, it is purported that they died for their faith. So, so you, you know, it's possible to shoot the messenger. People can get mad at the person communicating the message. But I submit to you that there's something worse when it comes to certain messengers. There's something worse than shooting the messenger. Now, for whoever the messenger is, getting shot for communicating your message or, or dying because of what you're saying when you're just passing along a message, that's pretty bad. But for the person that, that does the killing or gets mad at the messenger, there is something that could be worse than that. What could be worse than shooting the messenger or killing the messenger? Ignoring the message. Remember Saul of Tarsus? He got so mad. He, he oversaw the martyrdom of, the, of Stephen. Because Stephen, when he was preaching, they got so mad because he was preaching uh, their need for the Lord. And Saul was part of that. He got mad at the messenger. He was going around putting Christians in prison. But at least finally, he didn't ignore the message and he got saved. And then he became the messenger. And so today we are going to look at an official messenger of God. Now, God will often use, and just these people I mentioned, Paul, Peter, Stephen, those folks, they were messengers. 
But if we back up before that, there were messengers and there are messengers that God sent that were extraordinary in our everyday understanding of that word. You see, God has a special group of created beings that are literally called messengers to do His bidding. And we're going to look at one of them today. In fact, this one messenger we see at least, well, three times in the Scriptures. In, in, in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, I think it is, 9, and then possibly 10, this particular angel, and that's what a messenger is, this angel, Gabriel, came to David, excuse me, came to Daniel to interpret a vision that he had. And then, fast forward now into the New Testament in Luke chapter 1, then Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, came to speak to John the Baptist, who hadn't been born yet, to speak to his father, who was a priest, and announce that, that his wife, who had been barren and was old, was going to conceive and bring forth a child. And that child was going to be the forerunner. He was going to officially announce the birth of the next person, or the person that would deliver, and that would be Mary. And so Angel Gabriel, about six months later, then showed herself to Mary, a virgin, and told her about the birth of Jesus Christ. So God was doing these dramatic things because he was communicating a message. And so today we're going to look at the messenger, or messengers, we'll talk about angels for a few minutes, and then specifically talk about Gabriel and the message that he gave. And then finally we're going to conclude with what happens to those who ignore that message? What happens to those who celebrate Christmas year after year and hear perhaps songs, Christmas carols, songs, hear the, the nativity story, the birth of a Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. What happens to people year after year that hear that and ignore it? It is a message no human being can afford to ignore. Let's jump in, turn to John, uh, J, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 1. Messengers, the message, and then ignoring the message. Look at um, Luke chapter 1, and uh, let's begin in verse 5. Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all his commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no children, or they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God, in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. 
And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw it, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. And we'll pick up with that in a minute or in a little bit. But let's talk about this idea of an angel of the Lord. Uh, again, um, you know, the, the, this, this angel comes to him and communicates this message. What is an angel? You know, the Bible mentions the word angel or angels 289 times. And even more than that, because it talks about uh, an angelic host, it talks about the heavenly host, which is multitudes of angels. And then the Bible also, on 48 times in our Bible, it talks about devils, plural, which would be fallen angels, or what we would refer to as demons. They are, they are angels. And so what is this? about angels are there really angels you know people love more and more the the further america or just the further the world gets away from the bible and the revelation of scripture people are fascinated with the spiritual realm hauntings and poltergeists and all that stuff and you know do you believe in ghosts and that kind of thing do you believe in spirits well the bible talks about that angels are spiritual beings demons are spiritual beings they are very real and um so let's talk about them angels are personal spiritual beings who have intelligence emotion and will um, there are good angels and bad angels as i've referred to they are spiritual beings but they can take on physical form oftentimes they appear as humans. Remember there were three angels and then the Lord appeared to Abraham. And as far as Abraham could tell, they just looked, looked like human beings. But then there's also other descriptions that, that they don't just come as, as people. But for example, probably the, the most bizarre one is in Ezekiel chapter 1, where an angel or the angels appear as wheels with eyes all over and, and, you know, very interesting. So that these spiritual beings can appear and at times will appear in physical form. But they are very real. Now some, some Christian denominations have, um, you know, solidified it and, and um, you know, come up with the whole hierarchy uh, for example, here's you know one branch of Christian theology has there's three orders of angels. The highest order is composed of seraphim, cherubim, and thrones. These are terms the Bible uses. Then the, the middle order, the second class, is dominions, virtues, and powers. And then the lowest order of angels is principalities, archangels, and angels. Very well thought out. None of it's supported by Scripture. <laughs> you know, some of it is inferred. Uh, for example, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10, it talks about principalities and powers. Ephesians 6.12 talks about powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. These are clearly a reference to these spiritual beings. Colossians, 
Colossians 1.16, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. And some have taken those, those descriptions and made orders out of them. But honestly, the Bible does not clearly delineate, and it definitely does not break down, you know, this is, and it does not say clearly, this is the hierarchy of angels. So what are angels? The word itself simply means messenger. And it emphasizes the work that angels do. God created angels to do his bidding. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14 says this, uh, But to which of the angels, he's talking about Jesus Christ, and then he says, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool? He didn't say it to any of the angels. That's the, the Son, Jesus Christ. But then he says, speaking of these angels, he says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Think about that. If you are an heir of salvation, if you're a born-again child of God, God has spiritual beings looking after you. Now, we could go off on a tangent, kind of like the hierarchy and we could make up and say, everybody has their own personal guardian angel. That's what I thought when I was a kid. But there's no Bible verse that tells us, I mean, this is the closest thing, that yes, there are angels that guard the heirs of salvation. They're very involved. But the fact that each one of us is assigned a guardian angel, not in the scripture. And we want to make sure we base our theology on what is revealed in the scripture alone. So the word angel means messenger. And uh, they carry or deliver communication, a message, an errand. They do God's bidding. I mean, real quickly, turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. six. I love this, this um, event in history, 2 Kings chapter 6. It's the one that I think of. Uh, one of the many examples in scripture where angels showed up. Actually, they didn't show up. They were there. Look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. Uh, we, got, we have Syria, the enemy of Israel. And so we've got a couple countries here. Syria. It's going to talk about the king of Syria, which was Ben-Hadad II, most people believe. And then you have the king of Israel. And then you have the prophet Elisha. That's God's servant prophet. Now look at 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 11. Uh, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled. Real quickly and I love this. We, I just went over this not too long ago with some, with, I think during church or Bible study that um, there was a, um, every time the, the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad would make his war plans and his shuffle his armies and move around, it was as if somebody, and this is what he thought it was as if there was a spy in his ranks. Because every time that, that Ben-Hadad would move around the Syrian army, Israel would be apprised of it. They'd, they'd be aware of it. They could either run or send troops there. And at one point, the king of Syria thought, "Who? All right, where's the traitor? And a, a little servant girl, a Jewish servant girl, who was working for uh, one of, somehow involved in the king, said, you don't have a spy. There's a prophet in Israel who knows ahead of time 
everything what you're going to do and lets the king of Israel know. And his name is Elisha. And so what did King Ben-Hadad did? He gathered his troops and we have the ultimate showdown. You know, he's like, okay, this is the traitor. He doesn't think, how is Elisha getting this information? You know, he has an inside scoop. You may just want to consider that there's a God that's telling him that. You want to fight against him? Didn't think through that. All he knew is, we got to shut up this prophet. And so uh, we pick up here, and it says in verse 11, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria, that's Ben-Hadad, was sore, sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants. Okay, this is what I just explained. And um, Verse 12, And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Verse 14. Therefore sent he hither the horses and chariots and a great host, major military presence. And they came by night and compassed the city. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And they were there for Elisha. Can you imagine how scary that would have been? Good morning, Elisha. How are you? Hey, Elisha, there's like an army surrounding this city, and they're here for us. And look what his servant does, the middle part of verse uh, 15. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? What are we going to do? Verse 16. Elisha, in the Hebrew, it says he is as cool, cool as a cucumber. It doesn't say that. But he appears cool. And uh, verse 16, and he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now, if it were not for the spiritual reality, Elisha's lost his mind. Because clearly, there's an entire enemy force of soldiers surrounding them. And it's just Elisha and his servant. And that's what he sees. By the way, sometimes that's all we see. That's all we see. And that's why Paul had to remind us in Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual battle going on. And Elisha knew that. He was not phased. Elisha saw all the army, but he wasn't bothered. He knew what he's about to say. What he did, did say in verse 16. They that be with us are more than they that be with them. By the way, we have that same promise today in 1 John chapter 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You under, don't ever forget that. And Elisha prayed. Look at verse 17. This is the key. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. 
and he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, this is not, I love this, this is not the way, neither is this the way, follow me. You know, so he's leading them by the hand right into the capture of the, of the Israeli troops. So what's happening here? Take note. Elisha's prayer did not change anything in the situation. It simply revealed to his servant what was already there. His servant did not have spiritual eyes for that moment. And when Elisha prayed, he was basically saying, Lord, would you just give him a little insight on what's really going on around here? And for just that moment, all of a sudden he saw this large angelic host. And I want to remind you, in 2 Corinthians 4, 18, I believe it is, remember what Paul said, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Do not remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There was a, a missionary uh, from Scotland that went to a place that was called the New Hebrides Islands. And um, he was, uh, 1800s, he was born, he ministered and died in the early 1900s. And one night, uh, hostile natives surrounded his mission station, uh, and they were intent on burning the mission place down with his wife and him in, in there, killing them. And so he and his wife understood the danger. They had been threatened. There was a large presence outside of the village, and they began to pray. And they prayed throughout the night, thinking this is probably our last night on this earth. And when they woke up, they were or in the morning, probably didn't sleep, I don't know. Uh, but in the morning, when daylight came, they, they peeked out. And all the soldiers, all, the, all the, the natives that were ready to kill them had left. And, and he just thought, that's answered to prayer. About a year later, the chief of that tribe got saved and was talking to John Patton. And John said, reminded him of that day a year ago. He said, do you remember you, you and your troops, you and your, your tribe was surrounding us, ready, getting ready to kill us? And the chief goes, oh, I remember that well. And, and Patton goes, what happened that night? And Patton said, you would not believe it. Or, or he didn't say that. He said, who are all those men that were surrounding the, the, your, your hut protecting you? I mean, there was like a whole host of, of people there. And they had, I think he said, they, um, they had shining garments. And of course, you know, Patton knew that it was just him and his wife. He believes it was angelic hosts. Kind of reminiscent of um, what we read there about King Ben-Hadad. You and I don't know. Uh, we do know that there are spiritual beings. And that they are sent. That they are part, they're fulfilling God's plan for us. And particularly there as to those of us that are heirs of salvation. What a blessing. You know, back in March, on March 13th, 2013, was a Sunday. And uh, I, for some reason, my wife and, and my, my, um, my wife and my daughters drove separately. Probably had to come early. Uh, they were coming home from church. 
um, just about 10 years ago. And as they were going through an intersection, the last red light before they would have gotten into our neighborhood, a lady that was high on drugs came flying through the intersection and hit her, our car uh, and, um, you know, just, just, I think, totaled the car. It was very, very bad. And that's when we found out that she was, you know, high on something. And, and uh, thankfully, and my wife, you know, had some injuries and, and, you know, we'll never forget that event. But God protected my wife and daughters. And I'm convinced. And I've said, you know, God protected them. And a lot of times I'm just thinking, you know, God directly like put his hand on that car and made sure nothing happened. But very well, very likely God had sent angels to make sure because my wife and my kids, my two daughters could have been dead. And I'm convinced that God protected them. Because it's real. Angels are real. So let's, let's jump in now, go back to Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and let's consider the message. So we have messengers are the angels. And they're not just sent to communicate words, but they're sent to do God's bidding. So look at, and again, Luke chapter 1, look at verse 26. This was our scripture reading. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So this would be his third appearance, according to the scriptures. Got the one in Daniel, where he's, he's showing himself a couple chapters of Daniel. Daniel, I think it's 6 and 9. And then verse 10 talks about an angel that many believe uh, it, it, it's also Gabriel, but it's not identified. And then you have your second appearance, which is to uh, John the Baptist's father. And now we have this third most Critical mission. And it's this. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what matter of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary. By the way, all three instances, when Gabriel showed himself to Daniel, when Gabriel showed himself to Zechariah, and now when Gabriel showed himself to Mary, the response is always the same. Fear. And if you and I were to see an angelic being... Uh, we would be afraid too, would we not? You see, the Bible says the Jews require a sign. And God was doing something spectacular. And as is God's pattern, even in the Old Testament, when God would announce a king, if, like for example, when God was going to give a king to Israel, he would often send a, a priest or someone to come and, and announce it. And there would always be great fanfare, so there was no doubt, this is of God. This is of God. And folks, none of that is more true than the king that is going to be born in a manger or in, in, in Bethlehem. So let's talk about Gabriel. 
The name Gabriel literally is uh, man of El, one of the names for God, El. Uh, and, and so um, if you choose Gabriel as a, as a baby's name, usually it says it means God is strength. Uh, sometimes it's just God is great, but it is uh, clearly um, God is my strength is often how it is translated. But I submit to you that, oh, and by the way, when you hear people talk about Gabriel, they'll say the archangel, but he, he was not an archangel. At least the scriptures don't say that. He was a key angel. And um, in, verse, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 19, look at verse 19. Luke chapter 1 and verse 19. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. Stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. Now this was when he was speaking to, uh, to um, Zacharias, John the Baptist's father. But notice how he identifies himself. He's one that stands in the presence of God. God chose a very important messenger to communicate the forerunner of the Messiah and the actual Messiah. Gabriel's appearance uh, was very important. In fact, in, in, um, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20, there is an angel that shows itself to Joseph and kind of continues, some think that that was Gabriel, but it is not mentioned specifically that it is. So look at verse 34 now. Luke chapter 1, beginning of verse 34. Luke 1, 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. And then he announces, um, And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So, um, here we have clearly the message. It is God heralding a Savior, the Messiah, the great King of Kings, that would be a fulfillment of one, the Son of David. He would be of Davidic line. This was truly the most important event in all of history. Because God became a man, Emmanuel. And that man would come to die for our sins. Now to close. In, in fact, when we go back uh, to um, look, at, look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 18 now. We saw Mary's response. Let's look at Zechariah's response. Verse 18, Luke 1, 18. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. 
And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not be able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. Notice this. Because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. So Zechariah found it very hard to believe that his wife was going to be pregnant. Kind of like Abraham did. Uh, You know, Sarah laughed, remember? Because it's preposterous in a normal scenario. He's like, I know my wife's not going to have a kid. Nobody has a kid at her age. And because of that, he lost his voice for at least nine months. And can you imagine? He's an adult. He knows how to speak. I can't imagine what it would be like all of a sudden, nothing's changed except he's unable to speak. Would you, I, I would have loved to have gotten a peek at like the first few minutes of that, where he starts doing everything he would do before to start talking, but nothing was coming out. That must have been very frustrating, don't you think? You know, he gets, he's, and then maybe he screamed, tried to scream, nothing came out. And for nine months at least, he could not speak. And then finally, God opened his mouth. But I want you to think about this. The Bible makes it very clear that the reason he was smitten and made dumb not to speak is because he didn't believe it. Now, God was fulfilling his will and his plan. And this man would be a part of that by being the father of John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. But I submit to you that there are people, because this, in fact, one, one pastor made this statement. Um, he said, when, uh, of, of Angel Gabriel, he said, as God is working out prophecy in the New Testament, God sends Gabriel to make, certain, uh, to make sure certain things happen. Christmas is the spectacular moment when God is using all supernatural, natural, and scriptural prophecy and activity to declare, this is my son. You need to listen to him. He has come. It is good news. And that's important because this season is all about Jesus Christ. And as God said, this is my son. Hear him. Listen to him. What's worse than shooting the messenger is to Ignore the messenger. You know, we, you'll often hear people say, give Jesus a try. And I kind of cringe, although I probably said that when I was saved, first saved too, because I get the idea of that. People that normally would dismiss Jesus, and, and, and you know it's true, you know he is who he said he, he is, and you might say something like, would you at least give him a try? Because you know he's the real thing. But the reason I have a problem with that is it's not when, when so many times when I've heard people say, I tried that and it didn't work. It's because they, they never really fully considered who Jesus was. Salvation is not giving Jesus a little try and see if he works. Salvation is considering the claims of Jesus Christ and understanding who he is. When you get saved, you understand who Jesus is and who you are. So you're not giving Jesus a little try. You're giving Him His rightful place 
because you understand who he is. Now, maybe some listening, you gave Jesus a try. You said, I tried out that born-again Christianity thing for a couple of years. Didn't work for me. I submit to you, you probably did not fully consider who Jesus Christ is. Because if you ignore that message, it will be to your peril. I want to close with this. When I was a young man, a couple years ago, uh, I was in college, and back uh, where I grew up in Chester County, there was a, a quarry, a famous quarry that everybody knew was a secret swimming spot. Um, Cornog Quarry was what it was. We called it the poor man's Bermuda. And, uh, and it was beautiful. And I remember going, uh, a, a, a friend of mine, from one of my classmates from high school, also went to Penn State with me, and he had become a believer. And I think one of us found out about it, and we said, let's go check it out. And so I'll never forget, we went there, and we started swimming, and there was a whole group of kids. In fact, there's, uh, I just saw this week, there's YouTube videos of people swimming in Coronog, so they're still doing it. I don't know if I knew you weren't supposed to swim there. I probably did. But we swam there, and we had a great time. I mean, there's big cliffs and stuff. And all of a sudden, the police came. None of the things that I share now can be revealed outside of these walls, okay? Um, the police came, and a bunch of people, you know, scattered. And there's my friend Mark and I, and the policeman comes up to us. And he says, you know, you're not supposed to be swimming here. And we both got citations. And it was, I don't remember exactly how much it was, but, it, you know, back in the 80s, it was, it was pretty expensive. And I remember my, my friend Mark saying, I'm not paying it. You know, and so I thought, okay, if Mark's not paying it, Mark's cool. I'm not paying it either. And so we both ignored it. A couple years later, maybe, maybe, maybe just a year or two, it felt like forever. I'm working. I had a job at, at a restaurant, the Ground Round in Westchester, not there anymore. I'm in the back prepping, doing, you know, cooking. I'm in the kitchen. And all of a sudden, and this was strange, there was a back door that, um, that deliveries would come from. You know, all the deliveries would come through the back door. It was one of those things where the trucks would pull up. Nobody ever knocked on the back door. And I'm sitting there prepping, probably making salads or something for the day. And there's a knock on the back door. And one of, one of the guys gets it. And whoever it is, all of a sudden he says, Hey, Steve, there's a constable here. And he has a warrant for your arrest. <laughs> what? I, you know, I didn't know what a constable was. But I knew it carried some authority. And I thought, oh. A constable? I was scared to death. I was kind of a, you know. So anyway, you know, I went back, and this guy was all dressed in uniform, probably had a gun, and he sh shared me this legal document. And he said, um, you, you, uh, you got a citation, and you have not paid it yet. And so I have, a, I have a warrant for your arrest. And I remember saying, I promise you I will pay it. Uh, you know, how much is it? I'll send it. I promise you I'll send it in the mail this week. And he was very kind. He didn't send me to jail, didn't lock me up. He said, okay, but you better do it. And you better believe that week I, I sent that money in. And uh, last I, I connected with my friend Mark years after that, he still hasn't paid that thing. <laughs> but the bottom line is, you know, that constable, that message of the citation, you know, I was going to heed it. Because there were ramifications if I did not. I want to tell you something. The worst thing you can do is not shoot the messenger. The worst thing you can do is ignore the messenger. 
and not give consideration to who Jesus Christ is. Don't let this Christmas go by without giving serious consideration. Who is this babe in a manger? What did he claim to be? Don't dismiss him. Don't write it off because it will be to your peril. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us in this this Christmas season. Uh, Lord, and because of the familiarity of uh, what the nativity is and all the the Christmas songs, the Christmas carols, and everything about Jesus, uh, Father, there's no doubt that in many's minds it just goes in one ear and out the other. So many people know the words of the Christmas carols. So many of them sing the, the message that Gabriel came and gave that day. So many people reflect uh, on the historical event of Christmas, but they never truly consider the message of Jesus Christ. They never consider that He came to take away our sins. And so how many people, Father, are ignoring the messenger? I pray that that would not be the case this year. That many would take whatever effort is necessary to not give Jesus a try, but to consider Him and His message. To thoroughly investigate. To see if the claims of Jesus Christ are true. And Father, I pray that this Christmas will be the first Christmas that many people believed on the Messiah, which is truly the glad tidings, the good news. We ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen.